Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. Turn to, uh, turn to uh, Luke chapter 5. We're going to look again at this next section in the life of Christ as we try to discover more about him. Uh, discover the real Jesus, who, who he is, was and what he has come to do in and for us. Um, I was struck this week as I was preparing the, the beginning of this. Um, it's, it's interesting, the stuff that as often as you study something, the, th- the th- things you don't remember or don't see. The thing that struck me th- about Luke's uh, biography, we were talking about this biography of Jesus and what, he, what he's been doing and describing to us. The thing that struck me was at the beginning of the book itself, when he gives sort of an introduction to the book, he says, I decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. He wrote this whole book for one guy. So that you may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. Now, he... he that the, the Bible is amazingly, the, the Word of God is amazingly relational. That, that this whole, that the, that, that the origin of this, the, at least the earthly origin of this whole gospel was so that Luke could help his friend Theophilus know Jesus. Whether he knew him at all or whether he was in the process of knowing him or knew him for many years. But he, but he wrote this whole book so that Theophilus could come to know Jesus personally, through the things that he knew were true. And the, the, the utter personal, relational uh, nature of that is striking to me. And the lengths to which God is willing to go for, you know, he didn't write this to masses. He didn't write this for the sake of, you know, writing a book for the, you know, publication value of it. You know, his readership, how many people follow you, you know, likes on, on, on uh, Facebook. But to just for one guy. And God does the same for you, too. So let's look, if we will. Uh, Luke chapter 5, start at verse 1. Read down a couple of paragraphs as we go in this next uh, encounter with Jesus. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He, He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon Peter, And asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners, And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore and left everything 
and followed him. This is God's word. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would, that you would let your, your living word, as you call it, breathing, living, that it would have, that it would have a life-giving power to us as we, as, we, as we embrace it, as we understand it, as we put our faith in it, and rather than putting our faith in ourselves. Father, I pray that you would uh, do that in our minds, in our hearts, do that in our, in our will, do that across the spectrum, Father, that you might be glorified, but also that we might be changed and, uh, and more useful to you in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I did something this week that I, that I do on any number of occasions. I mentioned this to the class I was teaching earlier. Is that, you know, I, I, get, I get up in the morning and I had, I had several lists of appointments I had to make that day. Uh, you know, so it's going to be sort of a back-to-back day of, of appointments. And so not, not unlike some of what you all face. So I get in the car and I go out and I have my stuff and I go and I'm heading out. Um, and and I, I discover about five minutes into the journey that I'm headed, I'm headed here. And my appointment, my first appointment was in Westminster, Maryland, the other opposite direction. And I go, how do I, and I do this on, I do this any number of occasions. I'm headed, you know, I'll be going, I'll be going to, uh, I'll, I'll, Becky, Becky will tell me to drop off a bill at a particular place, and I go to Giant. That's not where we're dropping off the bill. We're dropping the bill off to Coles. And yet I go, what is this? There's an autopilot inside me. Do you ever have that happen with you? That you sort of mindlessly go in a direction that your body and mind are used to dry, are used to going, but it's not where you're actually going at that particular moment. Yeah, that happens to me all the time. That's just a small way that the that the body and mind operate in some capacity. But I think that there there, there is, um, and and if you read enough psychology and you do enough. Uh, process with counseling with people and you do enough engaging with relationships, you'll discover that not only is that a process that we operate in terms of our habits, in terms of our, in terms of our schedules and processes, but it's a process that autopilot operates in our lives and in our minds and in the way that we operate with our, with our, uh, with our thinking, with our feeling, with our responding. You know, Becky and I are discovering this about ourselves after, you know, 30-some years of marriage. We're discovering, and, it, and some of it is painful, some of it is, is necessary for forgiveness, is that we're discovering, you know, I think, you know, so we've, this is a summation of many little conversations, some at low volume, some at high volume. Uh, I, and I say, this is the summary, is you know, I say to Becky, you know, I think I have developed over 30 years of with you, I think I've developed kind of a grid for you. I think I kind of develop a grid, and I operate more based on that grid than I operate based on you. Because my grid is static. My grid is understandable. My grid is, you know, one plus one equals two. And that's an easy process, you know, and come to, find, come to think of it, you know, and this might be one of the high-volume moments, I go, and I kind of think you do that to me. I kind of think you operate on, you operate, and that grid creates an autopilot, creates a, 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 an automatic response. It creates a sense of, you know, uh, I know where this is coming from. I know exactly why he did that. I know what he means when he says that. I know, what he, I know what's really going on here. And so we're, we're interpreting the moment. We're interpreting the living, breathing person through the, the static 
the static grid that I've, that I've established in my heart and mind for this person, and I've got natural, I've got natural responses to that, you know, A, B, C. And so if it's, if it's, a, if it's a particular thing and, and that, that happens in the house or I'm moving in a particular direction, she operates on, on response A because she knows where that came from, and that deserves response A, which is sharp or, 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 or dismissive or, or angry. And I do the same thing to her. And all of that, and we're discovering this about ourselves. I mean, this is natural in human relationships. It's a natural thing in, in friendships. It's a natural thing in life. That the human heart develops cadences. It develops patterns. It devel- and, and we're discovering this after, and, and if you don't discover this after 30 years, things aren't going to go well. I wish we discovered it after 10 years. But after 30 years, you discover this, and you know, now you start to go, all right, now I have to change the auto-response. I have to discover the auto-response. I have to figure out what the grid is, and i got to repent of all that and operate now not based on what I think I know to be true, but based on actually what is true about her and the moment I'm existing in in that moment because people are not static. People change. People grow. People become. And certainly people, you know, one of the things that Jesus promises when he comes into the life of people is change, is growth, is new. (laughs) Yea, I make all things new, he says. He says, you know, the, the old has gone. You know, Paul says this is about his life. The old is gone. The new has come. I've, I've been crucified with Christ. I'm, but the old me is dying. And so this is what the promise is. And so if that's true, then I can't operate with humanity. I can't operate with people as if I know, that I know how it's going to go. I can't operate with, a, with, a, with an auto response. I have to always be repenting of, my, of what I think I know to be true, of what I think I know. You know, I know where this is going to go. Because I told her the other day, I said, I think the reason I don't share with you in a particular way is because I think what I'm going to share with you is going to trigger you in a particular fashion, and I don't want to make you unhappy. I don't want to make you fearful. She says, well, what makes you think I'm going to be triggered? I go, because every time I do it, you're triggered. Well, that turned into, you know, don't try to predict what I'm going to do. And she's right, and she's absolutely right. Because... Because there's something at work in her and in me and in all the people that God takes to be his children. There's, a, there's something going on in there that we cannot control or understand and we, can't, we have to live in the moment. The reason I go into such great lengths about this kind of experience is because this is what's going on in the life of Peter right now in this story. This is what Jesus is doing in the life of Peter. He, the, the, the essence, this, and this miracle... This miracle that Jesus does is a very famous miracle. It's the, it's the miracle of the, of the miraculous catch of fish. And we're going to talk about this miracle. But this miracle is not just amazing at the level of miraculous catch, but it's, it's, it's amazing at the sense it's, it's unique. And I, I, I don't mean unique in it's the only one because it's very rare. The, the rarity of this miracle, I'm not sure everybody gets because not all Jesus' miracles were the same. But this miracle is distinct because most of the time when Jesus did a miracle, it was in the life of people who were in desperate need. And if a miracle didn't occur, something wrong, something tragic was going to happen. Nobody needs this miracle. This miracle is not... 
because anybody's destitute or in, in de desperate shape. There's no demon possession here. There's no death illness. There's no dismemberment. There's no lameness. There's no uh, hemorrhaging of blood. There's no, uh, there's no brokenness that, needs to be, that, needs, that desperately needs to be fixed. There's no death that needs to be reversed. This, is, this miracle doesn't fix anything. This miracle, this miracle is unique in that respect. Doesn't make it any less a miracle. Doesn't make it any less something we should talk about. It actually highlights itself in some respects. What is Jesus trying to accomplish? Why does he go into the life of Peter and here are two fishermen? Two fishermen probably don't know much about Jesus. It's early in the, it's early in the description of Jesus' encounter with people. And so this is early in Jesus. So Peter probably knew something. He's a fisherman. So he's probably, I mean, you know, what's he doing on Sunday morning? He's not not going to church, he's fishing. So, you know, so probably he doesn't know Jesus in some respects, but he knows a little bit. He's heard things around town about who he is. And so Jesus comes in and gets into his boat and says, let me show you something about me. And the first thing he shows him about, about Jesus is he does a miracle in his life that has nothing to do with overcoming. Peter was not, was not an unsuccessful fisherman. It's not like Jesus is saying, well, let me help you business. Let me, let me help you. You know, Peter's not a startup business. The reason we know he's not a startup business is because he's in it with his brother Andrew, and the two of them, they had a partnership. They, had a, they, had, they did not have a private family business. This was a conglomerate. This was a successful business in the community. Peter, James, and John, uh, James and John, sons of Zebedee, these are the same guys. Fishing, partnership, two boats together. It's not just a one boat industry, it's a two boat industry. So that Jesus comes in and he takes a, a successful business and makes it more successful. Now, if I was the guy, what I'm learning about Jesus at that point is, if I take Jesus out with me every day, we're going to make a killing in the fish market. I'm going to be, you know, so that was what I would think. But Jesus teaches, uses this miracle not out of desperation, not out of fixing something to, to adjust his sense of you know, life to death, but he does this miracle to convince Peter of something, which is to convince us of something, is that you cannot operate with Jesus on auto-response. Jesus uses this miracle to say what you think what you think is possible in this world, what you think is possible in your life, what you think is possible in the lives of other people is your auto-response, is the grid you've established based on your personal experience, based on your history of, of circumstances, based on the way that you've lived your life. You've established a grid. You've, you've established a formula with how life operates. And Jesus comes in to Peter's life and says, throw the formula out because you don't know. Because I can come into your life and I can I can." Make things happen that are not dependent on your current set of circumstances or resources. That was what every miracle was teaching. Every miracle was teaching that idea. But we get so lost in the desperation of the need. This one, there's no, there's no, we can't get lost in the desperation of need in this. There's no demons in this. 
There's no sense of there's no sense of of someone being you know of being healed of a lifelong illness in this. You know this this is an everyday fundamental you know rubber meets the road experience. And Jesus says even in these things, I'm going to defy your sense of what you think you know. The other thing you notice about this about this miracle is you know uh, uh, which I which I find personally sort of. Um, poignant and condemning is that is that what Jesus is telling Peter with this miracle is um, uh, you if you're well, let me put it this way how, how can I say this if Jesus miracle is to is to free a man from demon possession or to overcome a woman's illness that she's had the entire her entire life that she's unable to overcome or to raise someone from the dead um, if you trust Jesus in that setting there's a sense where you go oh of course I trust Jesus because I can't do any of those things but what this miracle says is, if you're going to be a disciple of Christ, if you're going to have Jesus in your life, you've got to trust him for the things where you think you know better. Jesus comes in and says to him, after he, after he, after he uh, preaches his sermon and the people are taught, he, then, he, then he takes the message down to Peter, and he says, okay, Peter, let's go fishing. Now, what you know about this setting, what Luke tells us about the setting is the, that the boats were at the shore, the fishermen were washing their nets, which every good fisherman washes the nets when you're done, right? My, my grandfather was a plumber, but he was fastidious as a painter. I don't know why. He, probably, he was fastidious about everything. And so when I would help him paint, which a couple of times in the early stages, I hadn't learned my lesson, so I really wanted to paint with, with granddad. So paint, and so we would paint, and then, we, and then when we were done painting, that's when we washed the brushes. Not at the beginning, but at the end. You wash the brushes. And so you go wash the brushes. He says, okay, take your brush, go and wash it. Okay. Done. Well, no. He comes back, and he says, did you want? He didn't wash it, so he, then he takes the thing, and he puts it under the water, and he starts squeezing it out. And he says, there's more paint in here. Didn't you wash this? You know, paint it. And then I got to get the steel, then I got to get, get the wire brush out. And I got I to comb it with the wire brush to get all the paint out of the, out of the section. Because I dip it all the way in, not at the, the tips of it. And so all the paint goes all the way up, and now it's on the handle. You got to wash all that off. So washing was a major thing at the end of the project. In, in fishing, washing at the end of the project. And it says in here, Luke tells us, they'd been fishing all night. And as a matter of fact, when Jesus says, Peter, let's go out fishing, he says, Lord, what does he say? Lord, we've been up all night. We haven't caught anything. And so when... When Peter is encountering Jesus at this moment, how is he feeling at this moment? Think for a minute. How is he feeling? Been up all night, so how does he feel? He's tired. Uh, he's, he's exhausted. Um, haven't caught anything. How's he feeling? Discouraged, sad, frustrated, possibly a little angry. Uh, and 
there, the, the other thing that you got to throw in there. So, so he's tired, exhausted. He's been, he just, you know, he, he's just finished washing the nets. He probably hasn't eaten. He wants to go home, just wants to relax. He's, he's, he's uncomfortable. He's, he's exhausted. He's at the end of his day, not the beginning of his day. He's, he's discouraged. He's angry, frustrated with his whole thing. You know, uh, uh, fishing is, eh, and, uh, and, and then Jesus says, well, let's go fishing. And the other thing you need to realize about this, another element of it is um, they've been up all night. And here we are, daytime. And Jesus says, think about this for a minute. Jesus says, let's go fishing now. And so there's a sense where Peter's saying, hey, no, no, we, we, we were up all night. This season, night is when you catch fish. They don't fish because they're insomniacs. They fish at night because that's when you catch the fish. And so here's a carpenter telling a fisherman how to do his job. Let's go catch fish now, Peter. And so, in, so, how, does, so how does Peter feel when a, when a carpenter that he doesn't know much about, he's, you know, imagine, you know, this whole thing, is a pre, he's, a, he's a preacher. What does a preacher know about anything? Not much. Personal experience, I tell you. I don't know how to fish. I don't know how to catch fish. And Jesus says, go, let's go fishing. Let's go, and not just fishing, not, not just fishing daytime versus nighttime, but go fishing deep water versus shallow water on the shore. Okay? Let's go fishing deep water. And Peter's like, so how does he feel? So he's already tired because he's been up all night. He's already discouraged and, and frustrated and angry because he hasn't, didn't catch anything. But now a, a carpenter's telling a fisherman how to do his job and telling him what to do. How does that make you feel? Makes you feel, a little un, makes you feel like this is a little unreasonable. This doesn't make perfect sense. This is irrational. You know, it's, it, <laughs> this is useless. This is dumb. This is not, he doesn't know what I know. He doesn't understand. We just, it's not like, it's not like we were out all night and now it's morning and now you preach a sermon and now suddenly the fish are showing up. No, no, they won't. We'll we'll get another cycle tonight. Let me go rest. No. So it seems unreasonable in the midst of his tired, in the midst of his discouragement, in the midst of his anger. This is how, and this is what this is the context in what it means to meet Jesus. So when you meet Jesus in your life, when Jesus penetrates into your life, when Jesus decides to get into your boat, it's not necessarily, at first blush, going to feel happy. Right? I mean, it, well, hap, happy's an interesting word. Happy's an interesting experience. Well, we can explore that another time. But let's not talk about happy. It may not feel comfortable when Jesus gets into your boat the first time. Or when, you've, when you first come in contact with who he is or what he offers and what the gospel presents, it may not, because there's a sense where everybody's like, you know, Jesus saves and Jesus loves and Jesus forgives. and Jesus. So there's a sense where, oh, wow, I'm going to feel, this is going to be good. It's going to feel great to meet Jesus. And so I'm looking for the great feeling. I'm looking for that warm, comfortable feeling to make me know that I met Jesus when, when you might be looking for the wrong thing. No matter how long you've known Jesus, it, you know, when Jesus gets into your boat, it may not be, you, it, you may be meeting him and you're in the most uncomfortable thing you've ever done in your life. Tired and angry and irritable and, and, and it's unreasonable and, and makes no sense to your head. Yeah. <laughs> that might be. I can remember 
I can remember going to, uh, uh, when we first planted the church here, um, planting a church is like starting a business and it's, it's, very, it's very emotionally straining and it's very physically straining and all the rest. Now, we don't have to get into that, but uh, they, they offer training for the, to do church planting, to, which is what Becky and I did and what, many of the, what some of our founding members did when we planted a church. And so uh, they offer training. And so I remember going to a conference for church planters and it was nothing but church planters there. So all over the country, some all times all over the world, there were church planters there. And that what the common experience was, we were all starting churches. And so we're sharing different instances. And so, and, and, and I'm sit, standing there with a friend of mine. Uh, and he says, how's it going? And so in that moment, I felt the ability with my friend to sort of be honest and vulnerable and just say, well, I'm, I'm anxious a good bit of the time and I'm afraid. I'm not sure, quite sure how we're going to do all this. And, and I feel frustrated that we're not really, it's not moving in the direction, moving as fast as I want it to move. And, and, and money and people and opportunity and workload and, you know, it's all the things that you go through. So it's very, very similar. And I just don't know what I'm going to do. And I will never forget the look on his face and the words that he said. He looked at me and he smiled at me and he said, it's a good place to be, isn't it? It's a good place to be? And what he meant by that, I mean, even though inside, that, when he said that to me, I, like, I wanted to smack him in the face. I think I told him that. Or somewhere along the line, maybe the, maybe the next thing we did together, and I saw him, I told him that, maybe. But I, at some point. But it, it, I, I feel like, and, but what he meant was, that's where Jesus, that's where you meet Jesus. Might, you, might be, you might be encountering Jesus right now in those places. Because when Jesus meets Peter, he's tired, he's frustrated, he's angry. None of this seems rational to be told. Let's go fishing in deep water. But the critical, the critical thing here is, is that what were Peter's next words? As tired as he was, as discouraged as he was, as unreasonable as it made sense to his autopilot about what's, what can be accomplished in this moment, what did he say? It's the essence of faith. My body says no. My skill says no. My feelings say no. But Jesus, because you say yes, I will go yes. I'm denying my body. I'm denying my mind. I'm denying my feelings in favor of trusting you. That's the essence of faith. And it doesn't require, it, Jesus says that faith is like a mustard seed. Tiny little seed doesn't take, but it grows a big old bush. Does, does, it, faith is not, faith is at one level simple, simple, simple. Even a child can do it. Jesus said, belief is just like a child. It's just simply trusting. It's just simply, you know, the, the thing. Have you ever thought about that comment Jesus made? Faith is as simple as a child. Do you know what I can convince a child of? You know what children will put their faith in? But simply because somebody they trust told them? Whole lot. Whole lot. There's a whole market at Christmas about all those things. Yeah. Jesus, but at the other level, so at one level, faith, trust in Jesus at that point, at the point where we think we know how it's going to go. At the point in life where we think we know how it's going to go. And because we think we know how it's going to go, and in this instance with Peter, 
tired, discouraged, unreasonable, turns into hopeless. We think, often, we think we know how it's going to go. All, and, and I'll tell you, at the end of that road, I've talked to enough people and have lived enough life, and you probably live the same way, that when we cut to that place, we think we know how it's going to go. How do we think it's going to go? Hopeless. Not good. <laughs> That's the end of that story. That's the reason we say those things to the people around us. The reason we say those things in our heads. I know how this is going to go. Peter says, Peter in his own mind saying the same thing. You know, I know how this is going to go. My body's telling me how this is going to go. I, <laughs> my mind, I'm a fisherman. I know how this goes. I've, been, I've done this a thousand times. I, my, my psychology tells me, my feelings tell me how this is going to go. And Jesus says, trust Trust me against all that. Now, faith at that point is still simple. It's simple, but it's complicated because the complication comes in is if you're going to say yes to Jesus and yes to what and yes to the unreasonableness, what does it mean saying no to? It means saying no to what I think I know. How hard is that? It means saying no to what I think I feel. How hard is that? It means saying no to what I, I mean, saying no to what I think is my body is just completely exhausted. Yeah, that's where the complications come in. But in those moments, what makes, what turns the complications into simplicity is learning to tell your body where to get off. Learning to tell your, your, in, your, your intellect, your sense of, your sense of skill and, and grid where to get off. And learning to tell, practicing to tell your feelings where to get off in favor of what Jesus is saying, the promises, the truth, the, 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 the commands. And step towards him and go out. He says, okay, because you say so, Jesus, I'll do it. So already meeting Jesus hasn't been comfortable. <laughs> but on the other side of that, okay, they go out and they go fishing. They drop down the net. Ah, uh, what's happening now? They drop the net, and it's full, of, it's full of fish. So full, Peter's boat can't handle it. And the, and the nets that they've just tried to finish cleaning are breaking. So he yells on shore, hey, <laughs> we need help. And so they get help, and now two boats are going to sink before they get to shore. At least it feels that way. That's what Peter says. Or that's what Luke tells the story. Now, how's Peter feeling? How's Peter feeling now? Two boats full of fish. Didn't catch anything all night. How's he feel now? Well, you'd think Peter would feel elated. His discouragement is immediately lost. His sense of you know, his sense of not maybe trusting his own sense. You know, maybe Jesus, wow, this whole thing with Jesus, why, I thought it was going to go one way and it went another way. That's fascinating. I don't, I don't understand. That's incredible. And then maybe his sense of bodily fatigue is, you know, because whenever something goes your way, you know, whenever, you know, if you're, if you're exhausted and suddenly you get good news or you're exhausted and something somehow, you know, you know I've been, I've played, I've played golf, okay? It's 18 holes in case you didn't know. 18 holes, you swing at a ball, you get in a hole, try to, do as, try to do it in as few strokes as possible. It's not that fatiguing, but if you aren't getting it in the hole very often, it's fatiguing. 
And I played holes where I played one time at golf, got to the 17th hole. I am, I am just exhausted. I cannot wait for this round to end. I just want to be done. And, I, and I'm, uh, I'm in the sand trap again. When I wasn't in the woods, I'm in the sand trap. And I'm in the sand trap, and I remember succinctly, and I swing the club out of my desperate just fatigue, and it goes up onto the up onto the green, lands on the crest of the hill, and just dribbles, dribbles, dribbles down, and goes in the cup. And I birdied the hole. Which I've never, I've, that's like three birdies I've had in my life. And I was ready to play another round. Right. So when Peter gets this catch of fish, you think his exhaustion goes away. His, his discouragement goes away. His sense, of, his sense of unreasonableness goes away. And that would be the way it would feel to meet Jesus, Right? Nope. How does, Jesus, how does he actually feel in the moment when he sees this thing happening? What, is the, what does the scriptures tell us actually happened with Peter? It says, he fall, now, that, now, now I'm going to picture this for you. He falls at Jesus' feet and says, go away. All right? Now picture it. Picture it. Falls at Jesus' feet. He's holding Jesus around the knees. Go away, Lord, go away. That makes no sense. It's a little bipolar. He's magnetically attracted to this man and also feels a little shamefully repulsed by him at the same time. I want you so desperately, but you should go. I want you, but you don't want me. And then Jesus says, Jesus sees deeply into his heart. Not only is this this sort of interplay between, I want you, but I don't think I can have you. I want you so desperately. I'm so magnetically attracted, but 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 I'm so disgusting and you shouldn't know me. I'm a sinner. You're holy. There's something that this miracle told him, flipped flipped his body. His mind about what was possible, what, what, how things could go, about the condition of his life. I, Peter was like, I know how my life's going to go. I know how bad I am. I know where this leads. And, P, and then Jesus comes in and says, no, you don't. I got other plans. I, I, I know what I got for you. And, I, and that drew him to him. But he's like, I, you should be repulsed by me, Jesus. And then Jesus tells us a little bit more about what he knew about Peter because, he's, because Jesus comes in at the end and shows us a little more about how Peter's feeling at that moment. What does Jesus know he feels? If you look at the end of the chapter, end of that section, what does Jesus see in him? He says to Peter, don't be afraid. So, so, so now we add another layer of what it means when I meet, when Jesus comes into my boat, it's likely going to feel... Tiring. Discour- I'm, going to be dis- I'm going to be tired, discouraged, unreasonable. It's go- I'm going to be filled with a sense of captivation, but also repulsion. And then Jesus says, underneath all of it, you're afraid. And Jesus goes right at the root. Why is he afraid? Why do you suppose Peter's afraid? Why, why would, here's a man who's just given him so much blessing, he can't handle it. The blessing was making the boat sink. Not the, not the storms, not in this instance, but the, even the good things Jesus gives make you want to feel like you're 
in over your head. <laughs> so what does it feel like to be with Jesus when, he, when I meet him? I'm tired, discouraged, unreasonable, over my head. <laughs> I'm captivated. I'm, I'm intrigued, absolutely intrigued. There's something about this man that I desperately need to have, but he doesn't want, he won't want anything of me. He won't want anything of me. I'm too messed up. I'm damaged goods. I keep trying and trying and trying. Peter goes, I know how my life goes. I've done this a thousand times. I know what the deal is. And that I know what, the, and he's not going to want any part of me. And, and, and so what's he afraid of? He's afraid of a number of things. There's a number of things, likely, that, that, that Jesus will, will see him and not want him. And that makes him afraid. Because he wants Jesus desperately. He wants what Jesus offers. He wants the hope that life can be different than the way I imagined it. And he's afraid that he won't be able to have it because of who he is and what he's done. And Jesus says, don't be afraid of that. Because I'm going to make you something. I'm going to turn you in. I'm going to turn uh, uh, your life. You thought your life was, I know where this is going to go. I know how this ends. I know the hopeless element of where this is going. I'm going to be a fisherman the rest of my life with no hope for my eternal life. And, Peter, and Jesus says, no, no, you're not going to be a fisherman the rest of your life. I'm going to turn you into a people person. I'm going to turn you into somebody who's going to turn, who's going to begin to fish for people, who's going to begin to care for people, who's going to begin making an impact on the rest of your world in a way you can't even imagine right now. That's what, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because I got plans for you you had no, no understanding of. But then he also might be afraid, okay, you know, what else is he afraid of? He's afraid, he's afraid that, that he might not get to have Jesus because he wants desperately the hope that he offers. I, want, I don't want my life to go down the road that I think it's going to go down. Do you want that? When you look at your life and you go, I know how this is going to go. And it's hopeless. It's always the hopeless ending. It's always the way. Do you, but what Jesus offers in this miracle, and every miracle he says, do you want the hope that it's not going to go the way you think it's going to go? Yes. Do you think that you might disqualify yourself for that because of the person that you are? Maybe, and maybe that makes you afraid. And Jesus says to you, no, don't be afraid. I already know the kind of person you are. I already know you better than you know you. I already know what you're capable of, what, what you don't even know you're capable of, and I'm going to change you. I'm, I'm not repulsed by you like you're repulsed by you. I'm, I'm going to ask you, Peter, there's a sense where if we, if we unpack the mind of God... In this moment, he's saying, I'm about to ask you to give up, to, to leave everything and give up everything and follow me. But what you don't realize is that I've already left everything and given up everything to come find you. That's the cross. And not only that, not only have I left everything, my home and my father, not only have I left, have I, have I, but I'm going, to, it's go, I'm going to go further down that road for you, Peter, to the point where I'm going to become the worst part of you and pay for it all so that I can have you. So nothing about you threatens me. Nothing about you makes me, repulses me. Nothing about you makes me think I can't change you. 
And he says the same thing to you and to me today. The cross says that same thing, offers that same hope. You don't know what the miracle worker can do in your life. You don't know the end of your story. You don't know the middle of your story. But Peter also might have been afraid. I don't know where this is going. Part of, part of why we say, I know where this is going to go, part of why we say that is because if I know where it's going, at least I can, I can be prepared. <laughs> and it takes the fear out. But if I give my life to Jesus and I trust in what he's, and the miracle worker, uh, now I don't, I don't know where this is going. How do you feel about that? Well, it, um, it could fill you with a sense of, what a great adventure. This is going to be fun. Where are we going today? Or, more likely, where are we going today? I don't know. What's, what's, what's he going to do to me today? Now, if he wasn't good, if God wasn't good, if his plans weren't to change you for the better and to prosper you and to make you successful, I could see where that fear would come from. But Jesus says to Peter, don't be afraid. I've got plans for you. You have no idea. They're going to bless you. They're going to prosper you. But they might not feel comfortable all the time. Because even the blessing, more fish than two boats, even the blessing, even the good things are going to weigh you down. Are going to, the water's going to rise. Even with the blessing. But when the blessing gets so much, what did, it, what did it force Peter to do? Get his buddies out there. So now at least I'm not alone. If we sink, we sink. But at least if I'm sinking, Bruce is in my boat, Becky's in my boat, Susan's in my boat, Liz and Thomas and Jimmy, they're all in my boat. We're going down together, folks. Community because of the blessing. He's changing us into people. The other, the thing about, the other thing about this miracle is interesting is that um, G- Jesus proves in this miracle, another sort of uniqueness of this is that he's restoring things back to the Garden of Eden. Did you ever catch that? My, I, 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 I was, I was uh, reading, reading, some, uh, reading a book written by one of, my, one of my seminary professors and he pointed this out. Again, one of those things I hadn't thought. He says, this miracle takes them, takes back takes back what was lost, takes back some of what was lost in the Garden of Eden. And, he, and I, I'm going, what? And I read a little further. He says, you know what it takes back? What was the very first thing God told Adam and Eve to do? Imperfection. Very first thing. Have dominion over the whole thing. Have dominion over creation, including the fishes. And so Jesus has dominion over the fishes, reversing the curse, reversing what Adam and Eve did in the sin of the garden. He says, that's, you think you can't have dominion over the fishes? <laughs> you can't in this world, but I'll tell you what I can do. I can change that. I can, get, I can have dominion and I can give that dominion. I can give that authority to anybody I want. And that's what I'm going to turn. That's what I'm going to do with you. You don't know. The autopilot is lying to you. 
the autopilot that each of us has constructed based on the way we think we need to operate. And some of it comes through trauma. Some of it comes through a sense of practice. Some of it comes through my own damaged soul. Some of it comes from my failure to want a desire for hopefulness. And what Jesus says is, I'm, I can fix, I can redeem all of that. Don't be afraid. Don't. Fear is what keeps you from faith, not, not doubt. Peter, Peter wasn't afraid because he doubted Jesus. Peter was afraid because he saw the real Jesus and he's going, oh, crap. <laughs> if this guy knows where fish are, if this guy has dominion over that kind of creation, what the heck is he going to do in me? And Peter says, Jesus says, don't be afraid because what I know about you, I'm not going to use against you. I'm going to change it. I'm going to forgive it. I'm going to pay for it. So it won't ever count against you ever again. And will make you the freest, most powerful being on the planet if you give your heart to it. And the same thing that was true of Peter can be true of you. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the work that you accomplished in Peter's life. Teach us the same thing that Luke was trying to teach Theophilus to teach Theophilus that the fears of his own life about how it would go or end, that you can change those and upend our senses. And that you not only take dominion of fishes, you take dominion of us. Not to destroy or demand or control, but to redeem, recreate and free. To live happily and lovingly and and even though not, maybe, maybe not comfortably always, but lovingly, peaceably, joyously, patiently, humbly, gently in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.